0: Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this business of asking and seeking and knocking is uh, a little challenging, actually, because it, it, it puts our most vulnerable places right before you and before ourselves. And so I pray that this morning you will give us a special grace of being able to do that through your Holy Spirit and fully aware of your goodness as we explore this together. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know, I asked for a motorcycle and I never got that, so I just wanted to to get that out there in case somebody was feeling conviction about that. Um, Actually, I asked for a moped because I thought that would be my way in, you know. When I was young, this thing came out called a moped, which was a motorcycle kind of with that looked like a bicycle, and I remember trying to convince my dad, well, that would be safe. In fact, I would never even use the motorcycle. I would just use the bicycle part, which I knew that was kind of a lame argument, and it it didn't go anywhere, so um, I don't know. I was thinking about that when I was reading this passage. Um, Asking is risky business. You know, who asked the first question. In fact, I, I love this. The first time we hear God speak in Scripture, he asks the question, um, which is what? He says, Adam, where are you? It's the first words we hear from God, and you can see what a tone that sets for the rest of human history. Um, Adam, where are you? And there were no easy answers for God, so to speak, if I could kind of say it that way. In other words, what unfolds over the course of human history is God's own quest to answer his own question. And in fact, he becomes the answer by becoming Adam, to die for Adam, to be raised again as the new Adam for our salvation. So this business of asking questions is powerful. I mean, think about it. If it meant that God became flesh, who knows what it's going to mean for you and me? And what this asking and seeking and knocking, how that's going to change us in the process. So I mean for this sermon to dig a little deeper into this. I want to I want us to be able to move in this challenging direction because actually, you'd think, what could be a better sermon to preach than this one? Ask, seek, and knock, and it all happens. Isn't that great? Like, that's the sermon I want to preach. But actually, it's not like that, is it? And in fact, there's a reason why Jesus has to say this in the imperative. He doesn't recommend it. He doesn't say, oh, you already know this already. Of course, you do this naturally. I'm just going to kind of mention it in the context of my sermon. No, these are commands to ask, seek, knock. I mean, don't we do this kind of naturally? Kind of, kind of. I mean, people ask God for all kinds of stuff. You know that funny scene in Bruce Almighty? You know, he tries out being God for a little while and he gets overwhelmed, so he just, all the, he has this computer screen with all these requests coming in and he just says yes to all of them. Yes, 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 yes. And of course, well, it doesn't go well for him. Um, is that what Jesus is talking about? Ask me for stuff? There's a a sense of urgency that builds by repetition. He says, ask, seek, knock. And each one of those words, as we'll discuss in a minute, become a little bit more harder to understand. This kind of asking that we're doing is a seeking, like what God said. He said, Adam, where are you? It's persistent. There's a leaning into this, to use a modern expression, a a bit of a push by Jesus to move us into a place that might be a little bit new. It certainly was for his audience. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said this at all. Ask, seek, knock. Well, the asking part. We know each other well here. We know that many of us have experienced times where asking God for something's hard. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's, because, it's because asking for something is a little bit of a risk. What if it doesn't work out? And all of a sudden, you, you no sooner start to ask than you experience kind of a gap opening up between your request and the answer. It's not really a gap, it's more like a chasm, like a pit that you fall into. We fall in there and it's a hard place to be because we can't really get out on our own. All right, we did the thing, we asked for it, we don't get it, and, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in this pit. We have so many questions for God about why our request has not been granted or why it seems to take so long because Actually, you know, we ask for things that are dear to us. These aren't things that are just like asking for the lottery ticket. They're, they're reasonable to us. Lord, why wouldn't you give me the thing that I'm asking for? This isn't something that I, I'm, I'm being cynical about. I mean, I care about this. It's about my relationship desire or something about my children or my health or, or my work, or I need guidance, or I'm seeking justice. And sometimes we feel like God hears and answers, but oftentimes we feel like he hears and doesn't answer, or maybe he doesn't even hear. And actually, truth be told, many of us live our whole lives in this ebb and flow of this dynamic of sometimes yes and sometimes no, and we're not really sure. And actually, when you think about it, is that what Jesus is saying? Did Jesus say ask? Sometimes it works out. You never know. Seek. Every once in a while you'll find something important. You know, who knows when your lucky day is going to be. You know, knock. Every once in a while somebody might peek out the window to see if you're, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, Christian, live your life in the ebb and flow of sometimes yes and sometimes no. And yet that's where so many of us stay forever in this world. Well, okay, then we've got to move on from that one and we get to this word, seek. And that's even a little bit more focused. In fact, we don't really use that word too often. We talk a lot about our prayer requests. I mean, you don't have to go to church very long before you hear that term, prayer request. You know, uh, it's kind of jargon. Uh, we, we're, we, we very seldom hear somebody say, I have a seeking goal. I have a seeking thing. I don't, there's not even a phrase for it. <laughs> you know we're used to the asking part maybe it's cuz we're more american we're we're acclimated to a culture of giving and receiving and getting and working towards the good life that's something we aspire to and we get very disturbed when we're deprived of that and it's not all wrong it's not all right either but it's not all wrong and it's just that that's part of what we're used to but the seeking part what's that about seek what i mean have you ever answered the question what am i seeking Huh, I don't really know. Seeking is more focused, it's more specific, it's more intentional. Just like asking for something requires that we have something in mind, seeking also requires a target, a focal point. What is it that we're seeking? Well, you can say, oh, Jesus answered that uh, a little earlier in the sermon. Uh, By the way, we're in, in Matthew 7. This is the great sermon on the mount. Uh, Maybe you've heard of that before. Jesus is saying a lot of things, and uh, in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, he says, "Oh, okay, you're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." Got it? That that, that's clear as a clear as a bell. That one. Okay, so knock. What does that mean? Well, that's that's even worse because that's a metaphor. (laughs) Right now we're in the metaphors. We're supposed to knock on a door that's supposed to open. What? Does that make, I mean, what am I knocking for and what's on the other side? Or who's on the other side? We often equate knocking on the door as opportunity. Opportunity's knocking. Or, you know, a new door open to a new job or something like that. We don't really know. And do, do you see, friends, that we don't have to get very far in this passage where we realize, man, this is, this is tough territory for us. What is Jesus talking about? What are we supposed to be asking for? What are we seeking? What door is it that we're supposed to be knocking on? And what what happens when it opens? How many of us are truly engaged in this sort of persistent, focused, clear-sighted action? That's what Jesus is nudging us towards. It's not supposed to be a mystery, by the way. He's not giving us a riddle. He's, He's challenging us. He's challenging us. And this is very important for those of us who are in our engaged groups. That's why these are so vital. Because this is the place where we ask these things together. In fact, we scratch a little beneath the surface and all of a sudden the whole world opens up It's deeply personal. We just haven't maybe had the time to attend to it. But these are personal things. So, apparently we can be expending a lot of effort because Jesus says, hey, you, you know, if you, if you look in your bulletin on the Isaiah passage, all right, the prophet is saying, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? So apparently it's very possible to expend a lot of energy and get nowhere. Anybody can relate to that? <laughs> All right, Jesus is trying to help us, not discourage us. Jesus is urging us towards something that is so much better. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food, says the prophet. Come to me, hear that your soul may live. That's the impulse. Jesus isn't trying to set the bar even higher in that regard. It's just that he's so passionate. He's so good. And he's saying, I have something so much better for you. So the heart of Jesus' command is that we ask and we seek and we knock so that we will discover him. That's the point. Him. Come to me that your soul may live. And through him, then the answer to your questions and the fulfillment of what you've been looking for. He cares about those things. That's what Jesus' words do. They help us come face to face with our own unbelief. Because it's hard to believe, it's even scary to believe. Jesus warns in verse 13 of chapter 7 that the gate is narrow and that the way to life is hard and few that are, there are that find it, okay? It's hard and it's hard in this way that we have to trust and we have to believe and you can't conjure trust and belief by just working hard. That's the paradox. So if I were to end the sermon here, there would be truly no hope. There's a story that's been told about uh, it's a fictional story, but it's a helpful analogy uh, about a girl named Jenny who lives in World War, during World War II, and the Nazis roll up to her house in their, you know, awful looking cars and they take her father away because he's, you know, he's a political uh, prisoner or Jewish person. And the father says to Jenny, run into the deep woods, run. And she runs into the deep woods and she stays there and she's able to survive there during World War II during the duration of the war. She's living in the deep woods, and what she knows to be true is that there's a war on, and that it's dangerous, and that you're safe when you're in the deep woods, and you protect yourselves. You protect yourself in this way. And she learns how to survive there. And this is kind of what happens to us. We develop ways of thinking about our situation that seem true. In fact, we wouldn't even say they seem true. They just are true. We really are at war. There really is danger out there, and I really am safe when I'm in the deep woods. And we we trust so completely in our own understanding of what must be true, and it works for us. Jenny is safe. She survives World War II in the deep woods, and she knows that to be the true thing. But in fact, she's not aware, as the story goes, that the war is over now. She's still in the deep woods, and the war's over, and she's cultivated a way of thinking and believing that is, in fact, wrong. She's free, but she's living as if she's in a war. As the story goes on, a soldier comes to liberate her. But what does she know to be true? That people in uniform are unsafe, and so she hides from this person who's announcing to her her own freedom. That's our predicament. When we are challenged to take the first step towards asking and seeking and knocking, we have to trust. And trust isn't something we just muster up on our own. That's why Jesus is saying, you come to know me through the experience of trusting me. That's why when we ask and when we seek and when we knock, we enter into a process of transformation. It's hard. Not because it's wrong, but because in the process of doing that, Jesus is slowly and gently able to change our mentality and our way of thinking, to take the false things away and open our eyes to the truth, which is so much better. Actually, in the process of asking and seeking and knocking, the tension of that starts to reveal to us things that we hadn't seen before, things that we hadn't noticed before, about ourselves and about our aspirations and about why we have this desire. A lot of people have desires that are very wrong. Having the desire doesn't mean it's that, that, that the desire itself is right. For example, you may have a desire to, uh, to be a workaholic because for you, working really hard and really long gives you a sense of security. Well, the desire to be a workaholic is not an authentic desire. There's something beneath it. And you can imagine a workaholic praying for success in his work and you can imagine, theoretically, God saying No. In fact, you're going to get fired. Can you imagine why God would do something like that? Could you imagine it could be out of compassion? Do you see how that scenario is something that takes time to work out? Because that person does not know that they are captivated in in captivation. They're they're living in the deep woods. And in the process of them bringing their request known to God, God's not saying no. He's saying, I'm going to change you. I'm going to actually answer your prayer but it's going to take a little bit of work and process. So we're spending our money on that which is not bread and laboring for that which does not satisfy, and God uses this process of asking and seeking and knocking to reveal motives, ours and his. Because there are times when we pray, Lord, give me success in my work, and then I got fired, and I say, God, your motive's bad, obviously, And in the process, we're not only learning what our motive is, but also his, which is what his desire is. In fact, very often, in the process of asking and seeking and knocking, we get to a crisis point that can only be described in a certain way as a death of something. We have to let the thing die there's gonna be a crisis where you will come to and you will say, this is dead. The thing that I asked Lord, you asked me to ask you for this and I did, and what happens is it's dead. And I am experiencing it as death. I am grieving it as it is dead. And I am as disoriented as the disciples were when you breathed your last on the cross. How can it possibly be that God's answer to where are you, Adam, is that he's hanging up there, a victim of Roman authority? That often happens to us when we get personal. With God. When we stop living on principle level and doing our own thing, and we say, okay, I'm going to get real and I'm going to get personal, and all of a sudden we're confronted with a cross, a death of something. It's very hard to get to that point. Somewhere along the line, in the deep woods, the image of safety and security that Jenny, that fictional girl, has there had to die because it's no longer relevant. It's not true. And when we claim that as our essential truth, then we are going to suffer the death of it. Look, I don't really want Jesus. I just want what I want can often be our real motive. We say, God, I'm going to ask you for something, but really, I just want you to be a vending machine. I'm going to put the quarter in, and I want the Snickers bar. That's all I want here. Why does it have to be so complicated? Obviously, because, well, too many Snickers bars aren't good for you, but um, I wasn't thinking of that in that (laughs) analogy. Obviously, God is not a vending machine. He has so much more. Well, obviously, Jenny had no solution for this. How is she supposed to, on her own, discover the truth? We can't. We are helpless. We're helpless. What happens is this, this, this soldier that comes to, to rescue her realizes that every time he moves forward, she hides. And so he sits. He sits day after day after day, and he'll just occasionally and gently call out her name. Jenny, you can trust me. And slowly she acclimates to this new presence in her life and realizes through experience that this soldier is kind and he's trustworthy and she reveals a little bit of herself. And the soldier responds wisely and doesn't rush towards her, but he continues to take the little that she gives and work with that until she is able to believe because she trusts And he coaxes her out into the new world that is the reality. And that's just what Jesus is doing here. He has entered into the deep woods to find you. That's what the incarnation is. He's not standing away on the outside of your life. He's actually closer in than you can possibly imagine. And Jesus says over and over and over again in many different ways how close he is to you. Here's just a smattering of quotes from Jesus himself. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Whoever believes in me will never die, but to have eternal life. I could go on. Jesus isn't hiding something from us. He came to say it over and over and over again to us that he is trustworthy, that he is safe, that he's good, that on the other side of that door is exactly what you're seeking, even if you don't know it. How do we come to know these things unless we're pressed at times by God's mercy into our unbelief where it simply breaks before the cross of Jesus Christ in the presence of God and it's when our hands are empty of our own false gods then we can accept from him the answer to our prayer in the way that is best for us. That's God's view of this. Jesus is so emphatic. Why is Jesus so emphatic? Because he has no doubt. We're full of doubt. I I would be hard-pressed just to simply say this on my own, except that Jesus has no doubt. None. Not one molecule. Whatever doubt is made up of, he doesn't have one of it. All right? If you think about it. He says with 100% divine conviction that if you ask, you will receive. I could not say that. I just, I wish I could, but I can't. I, I don't have that much faith in saying it. Jesus does. Jesus says to each one of us without any qualification, you ask, you receive. You seek, you find. You knock, the door will be opened. It's emphatic. God is a better father then all the best of the best fathers, even fathers who know how to give good gifts to their children, cannot compare to the Father in heaven who will give good things to those who ask. There's no qualification. He doesn't say maybe. Jesus is urging us in this direction. He can say this to us because he has no doubt. Jenny did not come up with the idea to come out of the woods. And you and I don't have to figure all this out. God is figuring it out for us. The solution to Jenny's predicament was the soldier, not the solution. The predicament, the solution for us is the same it's Jesus Himself. We don't worship a vending machine, we worship a living God. And that's why we can bring our request to Him over and over again because we have heard the invitation. God asked. First, He said, Adam, where are you? And that's what he's asking you. He's seeking you. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I want to give us some recommendations for just for how we can start to enter into this, uh, this, this, this process. God is not a riddle. He's not trying to give you a riddle that if you can solve it, you get the key to the door. It may feel like that sometimes. It may feel inscrutable, like, Lord, why are you making this so hard? I've tried as hard as I can. I mean, I can't try any harder. And yet, but God is not playing around with us. He takes our prayers very, very seriously. In fact, he takes them far more seriously than we do. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, earlier on in the same sermon, Jesus says, remember, when you're asking, your father knows all the things you need. Your father knows what you need, Jesus says, this is a quote, before you ask him. He is more serious about your requests than you are. In fact, this is how God feels about your need. This is a quote, if you'll bear with me, from Romans Chapter 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says about how God thinks about your prayer requests. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what's the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, God cares more about your prayer requests than even you do. Indeed. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? The place to start is to trust. That's the first place. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus says that the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom God has sent. To know that God is a Father who gives good gifts, to believe that the one who gave us his only Son for our sake will not say no to anything that truly nurtures us and feeds us. To believe that your life makes more sense when it's connected to him, not disconnected from him. That's what creates idols. You want the gift without the giver. That's idolatry, and God won't give you that. Trust, trust That he's good. That's the flip side of Jesus' speech here. The reason we ask and seek and we knock is because on the other side of that door is the one who loves you. Listen carefully, number two. Listen carefully to yourself and to God as he speaks to you about your search. You have to listen carefully. Where is your request coming from? What do you expect the, the answered prayer will provide for you in the context of your relationship with Christ and other people? What is God saying to you about your request? What is his perspective? What does he feel about it? Where are, what are you discerning and learning about yourself and about God and about this situation? You know, there's a whole nother life coming after this one that lasts forever. And that's what allowed the early martyrs to die young. Jesus and all of his followers except for John died young. Did they not have their prayers answered? No, they they did because they had an eternal perspective. And if you listen carefully, God will share with you what his perspective is. Listen carefully. Trust and listen. Number three, this is a hard one, don't give up. Do not give up. Knocking is persistent. And I just want to encourage you be persistent. Don't give up knocking. Persistence is implied in this text. Stay connected to God and to other people who are with you in this promise and stick with it. Motivate yourself, it's important. God wants you to keep seeking. Number four be honest. Be honest about your doubts. That's why we have the Psalms. David, just it's just like his journal. He just blurts everything out. Be honest with God. He can take it, right? He can take it. He knows it already. It's what we pray at the beginning of our service when we ask the Holy Spirit to make our desires known. He knows to whom no secrets are hid. It's okay to be honest and just use straightforward language. You don't have to try to dress it up. Be honest, bring your doubts and your frustrations to God in prayer, but be especially diligent to speak words of truth about God and to him. And secondly to that, be humble. Be honest, but be humble. Don't confuse honesty with whining. Don't whine, right? That's not prayer. That's just immaturity, Christians bring their complaint to God. They bring their doubts and fears. They even bring their anger to God. It's all in there, all right? But they place this in the hands of a God that they know is real, that they know is holy and good. That's humility, all right? This isn't about whining and self-justifying. And and poor me-ism, right? That's not what we're talking about here. That just needs to be corrected. And like we heard in the Revelation passage, God is very clear. He says, look, that's lukewarm. That's distasteful. Just like when we eat something that's not the right temperature, we spit it out. That's what I feel like doing. All right, he, he's not easy on us in this respect. Be honest, but be humble because you're actually in dialogue with the living God be encouraged by the answered prayers of other people. Don't go scouting around for all the people you know that God didn't answer their prayer. That will not build faith in you. All right, Go around looking for answered prayers. Now you can say, well that's not very objective. This isn't science, folks. This is your life. All right, You can try to find in the Bible all kinds of unanswered prayers and do you know what? You won't find very much, to be honest with you. Nowhere in the guidance of the New Testament, but does it say, usually try to figure it out on your own and don't come to me in prayer because it doesn't really often work. It just doesn't say that. It just says, bring your request before the Lord and he will answer your prayers. When somebody's sick, call the elders and pray in faith, says James. That is that kind of thing. Be encouraged by other people who have answered prayer, even if it makes you feel insecure and yucky and jealous and all the other things. That's why I'm saying it. We will oftentimes hide in. Well, that person didn't get his prayer request. Billy Graham, he 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 prayed, and his thing wasn't. You know, that's self-justifying. That's what I'm talking. That's just a, an escape hatch so that you don't have to confront the fact that your prayer is not being answered. All right, take faith. Be encouraged. That's hard work. That's why I'm saying this. I don't do any of this stuff well, by the way. Uh, this is why I have this list. I'm preaching to myself. Seek out other people who build your faith. Don't hang around with the people that are making you feel even less faithful. Birds of a feather flock together. We just love to, you know, grite together. I, I mean, I get it. We. I'm not trying to say we need to be fake. That's not what I'm saying. Remember the honest part. I am not saying, be fake. All right, I hope you can kind of navigate all this. <laughs> I'm not saying be fake. Be with people who are edifying, who are mature, who are able to understand and 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 and, and uh, validate our real feelings of doubt. I'm not I'm not saying hang around people. the platitude people. I'm saying hang around faithful people, mature people who can help Build your faith around the thing you're struggling with. Seek out others. Jesus never told us this was gonna be easy. Now, I'll close with this. Some of you who are in our engaged group saying, what about the sailing, rowing metaphor? I thought the rowing was hard and the sailing was easy. That's not what we're saying, is it? Rowing is I'm gonna muscle through this on my own strength. Sailing is I'm gonna listen to the presence of God and I'm gonna trim my sails to align with him. That's different. I'm not suggesting that we just muscle through this. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm going to give you these good words, now get to it, and I'll see you in a, in a couple years. What he's saying is, I am the answer to your prayer. I'm going to give you nothing that's apart from me. I'm not going to give you an idol. I'm not going to give you a scorpion. I'm not going to give you a stone. I'm not going to give you things that are going to harm you. I'm not going to play around with you. I'm not going to give you riddles. I'm not going to treat you disrespectfully. I'm going to take you even more seriously than you take yourself. And the reward will be that when that door opens on the other side, who's there? Jesus. Because we might think we're just starting to knock, but who's the more persistent knocker in Revelation 3:20 in our text? He's the one. Who asked first? God did. Who sought first? Jesus did. I came to seek and save the lost. Who knocked first and most persistently? Jesus. He said, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I will be there. I will be there, and he will. Friends, this is hard. It's hard for me. I'm not a success story, this is my life and it's your life and these things matter and that's why I want to just proclaim to you that Jesus would not have stood there to his people, his congregation, and he would not have said with 100% conviction that if you ask, you will find. If he didn't believe it and if you weren't trustworthy and he is, and he's good. And I just pray that if you're struggling in this area, first of all, you don't have to figure this out. Just be in God's presence. Just praise him and love him and find him and see him and hear him. Just, just enjoy him for a moment, like an oasis in the desert, which is a plug for oasis tonight because he wants to give you rivers of living water, and he will. And in the process, you will look in the rearview mirror and you will say, wow, what God has done. Not one thing I asked for did he fail to give me because he is good. Amen.